When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. Our show today is jam-packed because we're going to talk about when favors go wrong, how to correct incorrect corrections, managing the loose ends of a breakup, who to introduce to whom, and when it's time to speak up. Plus, Dan has a postscript on posting vacation pics. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute. And I'm back from vacation. This is the first time I'm seeing you in a week and a half. Welcome back. And Dan had a birthday. I promise I'll stop singing. Okay. Um, You had a birthday. I did. And had such a fun birthday party. And It was kind of a birthday party for me, but kind of not. My parents invited everyone with July birthdays in the family over to their house. And there were nine of us. Wow. Out of 16 people. It was amazing. So fun. A lot of July birthdays. A lot lot of July birthdays. That's awesome. A lot of Cancerian energy. (laughs) (laughs) Is that good or bad? It was good. (laughs) Just teasing. (laughs) Bunch of homebodies. A bunch of folks who are really uh, committed to their homes and their families in that homey feel. It was a... A very comforting party, no nice. question. And how was MV? Oh, Martha's Vineyard was awesome. Um, my dad was down there for a golf tournament. And uh, so my he and my uncle on my mom's side were both playing in it, both members of the golf club. And they brought, it was a member guest, so they had to bring guests. And their guests all stayed at, at one of the houses on the farm mm-hmm. uh, with us. And it was Awesome. I got to witness some of the guests, the best guest behavior I'd ever seen. My dad's friend, Ray Murphy, came and I've known Ray since I was probably like 12 years old and babysat his daughter like they're Mm -hmm. awesome family. But I hadn't really seen them much in the past couple of years and spending five days with him on the vineyard and, and watching him be a guest in someone else's house. It impeccable. I mean, helpful, thoughtful, pleasant just so ready to pitch in and just go with the flow. It was the nicest guest experience I'd ever seen. It was really wonderful. Well, we hear about house guest nightmares, house guests gone wrong. We've talked about it here on the yes, show. Yes, R- Really nice to, to witness the best of the best. The best of the best. Did you get out golfing with Pop? I did. I did. Before the tournament took off, we had, my dad and I got in a few rounds and um, it's a small course with, with like narrow and angular holes. So it, it's challenging. It was not my wide open fairways that I'm used to. So it was it was challenge. It was good for me. It's also one of the prettiest courses I've ever played. So I loved it. Officially jealous. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I am officially back. So what do you think? Should we tackle some of our listener questions? Let's get to it. All right. All right. Maybe so. But it's 
It's also complicated. Is it? Look, there's nobody here. Let's try it out. What do you mean? Come on. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860 and leave us a message. This question kind of crept its way into the 19th edition of Emily Post Etiquette. Did it really? Well, a version of it. Oh, I don't remember that. Enlighten me. This question is titled Loose Ends of a Breakup. Dear Daniel and Lizzie, greetings from Germany. My girlfriend broke up with me last year after she left for an au pair year in the USA. I was really close with her family as I lived with them for a half year during our German A-levels. Before the breakup, I kind of lost contact with them. Now, four months later, I still had no chance to thank them for a great time in person. I phoned her mother to arrange a meeting as she seemed encouraged to see me again. However, she canceled that shortly before it was supposed to take place. One month later, I phoned the father, and he was pretty negative about meeting again, despite him being polite enough for a little chat. Now I feel caught in this unpleasant situation. I still have one or two things that I think I left over at their house, so I would like to get them back soon. But after that last phone call, I just feel discouraged and insecure about how to tackle it. I got the mobile phone number of her mother, but I have no idea how to ask her again or how to deal with a negative reaction. Is there a way to solve this in a respectful and satisfying way for both parties? Jonas. I think so. I mean, I think I think two, I'm kind of of two different thoughts. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I'm say, I say just give a call. You lived with these people. These and it doesn't sound like they hate you even though you're hearing negativity from the father about getting together. I find the generation above ours. I'm I'm 33 and I find that the the generation above often says things like when a breakup's a breakup you're done you're over it's move on you know and I think they're a little bit more clean slate about things Mm -hmm. whereas I think our generation is a little bit more like keep in touch I mean you know especially with social media and everything like that there are more things that connect people exactly no I think that's really true so I think it's it's more common for them to think about reaching out I mean I still talk to my ex's parents every now and again I just think it's easier to think of that so I would say, considering that you have the mom's cell number and you had an okay talk with her even though she canceled, I would just give a call and say, hey, I'm I'm noticing a few things missing. I'm wondering if I left them at your house. Is there any way I could just pop by and pick them up or could you check and see if they're there? I think that's a very easy, you know, casual. You're not asking a whole lot other than just to check and make sure your personal belongings are not there. I, I like the way you did that because you're instantly bringing the focus back to the items, yeah. which is really where you're... The purpose of this question is about recovering those items. And I think that's um, you, you mentioned the, the, the generation that's used to a cleaner split. I'm also thinking about parents wanting to honor the autonomy of their their child and yes. not get involved in a breakup. I could I can see a parental inclination to respect their daughter's choice yep. not respect to be involved anymore and to yeah. try to try to help her maintain whatever boundaries she's establishing. Yeah. Um but it's perfectly appropriate to ask about your stuff. And I like the way you did it because you're, is it still there? I'm curious. I'm inquiring about it. You're not making demands. Yeah. When I was thinking about how to make that approach, I was thinking about offers you can make to take some responsibility. So offering to pay to have something shipped, offering to come over yourself to pick it up. So you're not placing the burden of returning those items on someone else. If you're looking for a point of etiquette to keep in mind as you're thinking about that communication. And 
if they're even still there is a great way to, 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 to open that conversation. That. And, you know, the other thing that you and I talked about before before we dived into this question was just that how badly do you really want this stuff and how, how much is it stuff that you need? I mean, is it stuff you could easily replace or is it like that favorite sweater that your grandma knitted for you that actually is really special? What you are know? the stakes here? Exactly. Mentioned for the 19th, Lizzie and I had a bit of a discussion about ghosting and whether or not <laughs> ghosting, the, the process of just essentially disappearing and not ever talking to someone again after a relationship ends is okay or not. And in the world of social media where we're connected in more and more ways, that can even feel hurtful to some people mm-hmm. these days. So it's it's definitely a, a norm that I think is changing. It's worth considering and worth thinking about. Jonas, thank you for that question. We hope that our answer helps just a little bit as you work on getting your stuff back. Take good care. Our next question starts, you're wrong. Wait, no, you're wrong. No, you're, uh, wait, who's wrong? All right. Our next question begins, Dear Lizzie and Dan, my question for the both of you is one about business slash professional etiquette. I work in academia as a professor of mathematics, and a few years ago, I published a textbook, which is now starting to be used at other institutions. Congratulations. This morning, I received an email from another professor who is considering using the textbook in one of her courses. She claimed that she was enthusiastic about the book, but upon finding a, quote, very embarrassing mistake, end quote, was start new quote, terribly disappointed, end quote. She explained what the mistake was and what the answer to the example exercise should have been and then closed the letter with the statement, quote, such a shame, exclamation point, end quote. Wow. Okay. Over the few years the textbook has been in publication, I've had other professors and instructors contact me about typos they have found, for which I am always grateful. No first printing is 100% perfect, or so the editors have told me. And we, being authors of, of quite a few books, totally agree with that statement. However, this was the first email claiming that there was a mathematical mistake, mildly horrified that my co-authors and I had overlooked something and made a very embarrassing mistake, in quotes. I reviewed the reference example only to find that there was no mistake made. The professor who had emailed me had overlooked one of the main assumptions in the setup of the problem, which ultimately led her to an incorrect solution. In rereading the problem, the assumption is clearly stated in the title and setup of the problem and is not glossed over in the explanation of the result. So it is unclear to me how she missed it. I need to respond to her email, and in my response, I will need to point out to her why her result is incorrect. However, she is someone considering using my textbook in her class, about which she was previously enthusiastic. I want to do so tactfully and in such a way that she will not feel embarrassed or put off by my response. As a mathematician, I have made mistakes like this before. Mistakes are often how I learn best, and I know the stinging feeling of a embarrassment when I have aggressively asserted my correctness, in quotes, only to later discover my error. I would love to hear your suggestions for composing my response. Thank you, Prof. B. Prof. B. And thank you for your question. And I want to echo my cousin Lizzie's sentiments that we appreciate the awkwardness and embarrassment that those typos in a first printing can provide. It's it's, uh, understandable. But when you talk about an actual error, a content error, it is something that you often feel responsible for and you want to address. I appreciate your taking a look at this situation and discovering that no, actually, that you feel the content is correct. And 
I also really like the self-reflection when you're thinking about how you felt embarrassed when you've pointed this out before. Mm-hmm. You're already doing the first best thing to think about an appropriate response, a good response from the world of etiquette, which is you're thinking about how someone might feel. You're thinking about how someone might feel if the shoe were on the other foot, if um, you were in the situation that they were in. In fact, you can even sympathize. In fact, that might even be some good language <laughs> to think about employing in your letter. If there's a way to do it without sounding yeah. patronizing. So let's talk about ways that you can assess the tone of professional communication because there are some tips. There are some things that can be really helpful. One of the first pieces of advice I would give is one I've heard my cousin Lizzie give on this podcast before, which is that write it and then wait before you send it. Give yourself a chance to read it back. Read it back to yourself again later on. Give yourself some time. Write it. Put it away. Dude, <laughs> Step away from it. else read it. We're so going to get there. Oh, that, okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, jump in, jump in. Read it out loud to yourself. Yeah. Hear your own voice. Hear yourself say it. If my Uncle Peter were, he'd say, go to a quiet room. Go mm-hmm. somewhere that you can actually hear it out loud in your own voice. And even better, as my cousin Lizzie just said, have someone else read it for you. No one else is going to hear tone the way someone else hears it better than someone else. You're always going to hear it a wait, little wait, bit. Wait. No <laughs> one else is going to hear tone the way someone else would hear, hear it, it better than someone, someone else. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely done, cuz. All right. (laughs) And they really won't. You will always hear a little bit of your own voice, your own intent when you reread it. You'll hear your own inflection, your own cadence, and someone else is not going to give you the same benefit of the doubt. So lean on that. Lean on that colleague. Lean on someone. And this is a particular situation where there might be a sale on the line. That someone could be recommending this this textbook for their classes for years to come. And that's definitely a relationship worth investing in, worth paying some attention to. A a final tip that I'd want to give you for managing tone in your own writing is to think about what you want to say and then say it. Say it clearly. Try to be as explicit as possible. It's okay to tell someone, if the shoe were on the other foot, I'd want someone to tell me. It's, It's okay to use language like that to connect and to communicate exactly what it is that you mean. Don't be afraid to use some magic words also. They will improve the tone of your writing. Please, thank you. You're welcome. Um, These are... Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. 
Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. They're magic words because they're magic (laughs) and they will transform your communication. They will give it a tone that will be easier for someone to read. I think also a big part of dealing with a letter like this is you have to compartmentalize a bit. You have to separate out the fact that, I mean, even myself reading your email, Prof B, I was thinking when she wrote very embarrassing mistake, terribly disappointed and such a shame exclamation point. Those are all hits that I would take really personally. They are things that I would be, oh, ouch, no, grr, I would get so defensive about. And I would air those those grievances to someone like Dan. And then I would write my letter and I would make sure that I don't have them in there because that's, you know, that was her choice to act like that in an email. You don't have to do the same back. You do like you don't want to write something like, actually, you're wrong. We double checked. Okay, that's not the way we want to handle this, even though it's what your inside voice wants to do. Don't let it be your outside voice. So that is a perfect bad sample script. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Help us out. We'll, we'll, more, okay, more so of what's what you the would good, say. What's the good sample script? I would say something along the lines of, um, dear X, thank you so much for taking the time to consider our textbook for your course. My co-authors and I have gone through the question that you've had. Or I would even add before I jump into the fact that we've double checked the question, I would add in something about, you know, really appreciate you spotting a mistake and being willing to tell us about it. And then you can say, my co-authors and I have gone through the question that you found a mistake in. And here is what we found. And then list it out. Due to the assumption in the title and setup of the problem, the answer in the text is, in fact, correct. And if you can do a write-up of the problem that shows visually why it's correct, I think that that would be really great. While we are relieved to learn that there is not a mistake uh, in this problem, in this sample problem, we are very grateful to you for alerting us to a potential problem. Please let us know if you would like to reconsider using the text. Many thanks, Prof B. Like Something it. like that is going to clearly identify what happened, show appreciation for someone who was, even though she didn't pay attention correctly, I- I'm glad she was reading your book I guess well enough, but not really well enough if she missed the the indication and the assumption. But I'm glad that she was reading it with a critical eye. Uh, uh, that can always be helpful. And so she put that appreciation where it will soften what you're about to tell her. And then encourage her to buy the book. You know, we hope you'll reconsider it. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Yay. Again, good. pretty simple. Say what you mean. Be be clear. Yeah. Say the thing that you want to say. But I, I also like the couching it a little bit, thanking them for taking the time, yeah. um, being explicit about hoping that they'll still consider using your book in the future, having heard how enthusiastic they were about the content. And then have someone else read it for you before you send it. But I think that, that that'll, that'll do you just fine. And I really hope that she's able to then go and purchase your textbooks. Take care and uh, good luck next semester. Our next question is kind of an etiquette classic, and it is a difficult problem. It's about favors not measuring up. Oh, man, I do not envy anyone in this situation. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. A few days before a co-worker's wedding, to which we had not been invited, their photographer backed out. 
It was a small second wedding for both. My coworker asked if we would be willing to take photos as a favor for them. We agreed to help out. We left work several hours early, and upon arriving, we were presented with an extensive list of quote-unquote formal poses and candids they required and spent several hours fulfilling their requests. After taking more than a thousand photos, we were exhausted when we left late that night. The next day, we bought and provided our coworker with a zip drive with all the photos and felt we'd helped them out of a bad situation. That night, he sent us a text saying how disappointed they were with the photos and questioning if we'd used the right settings for some of the low-light situations as they appeared blurry. We thought we were helping out, and obviously we could have deleted some of the questionable photos, but we were going to let it go. Unfortunately, he keeps bringing it up. We'd like to kindly remind him that we're not professional photographers who were hired for a gig, but rather co-workers asked to jump in at the 11th hour only to find our favor not measuring up. What's the most appropriate way to reply since we obviously aren't the staff photographers? Love your show and we'll bite our tongues if you say so. Anonymous. Anonymous. I'll keep my answer really short. Just bite your tongue. Oh, you say bite your tongue? I so don't say bite your tongue. That's the shortest possible answer I could give. Let's talk a little bit more about this question because it is um, it is complex. It is complex. And I called this an etiquette classic because... It gets into that tricky gray area territory where you're you're left wondering what to do, what's appropriate. Yeah. And it paints the picture of our etiquette is challenged the most when we're presented with bad behavior, that if everybody's behaving well and doing what they should, it's easier to be a gracious, thoughtful, caring, considerate, yeah, honest totally. person. <laughs> um, and then this happens. So let's talk about all the things that are wrong with okay. the way this person's being treated. Okay. That they, they come through in a pinch, do a last minute favor and... Buy a zip drive. That's not cheap. Spend hours, anyway. work hard. And as, and as the scenario is being painted, I'm thinking to myself, what's the appropriate way to thank this person yeah. for all the effort they've made on your behalf? And then when it's all over, instead of getting that, frankly, elaborate thanks that you're expecting, instead you get this disappointed text, this sort of snipey. Well, and on top of it, apparently he keeps coming back to the issue. He's not letting it go. If he had let it go, I would have said, you're fine with just kind of walking away and chalking it up to I'll never do a favor for this guy again. And that's what gets us into this tricky gray area territory. And we all often say two rudes don't make a right. So you're confronted with really rude behavior. If this person was really so upset, saying it in a text message wasn't the way to do it. They bare minimum should have talked with you, given you a chance to communicate back and forth so that they could have communicated the subtlety of the message that was required, which is we thank you so much for making this effort, even though we're disappointed that the results didn't come out the way we'd hoped. And we know you can understand because it's our wedding and we care so much. And at the same time, we yeah, thank you for making that. that effort. It's an impossibility in a text. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the layers of problems here are deep. And how you respond or react to that really does challenge you or put you in a difficult situation. The two roots don't make a right thing. The reason I say the short, quick answer. Yeah. And I think it's almost implied in the way the question's asked is, do you bite your tongue? It's it's hard to point out what they're doing wrong well. Yeah. At the same time, if it keeps happening, does it start to cross that territory of this is belittling, this is demeaning, this is disrespectful f- of me if I continue to listen to this and I don't stand up for myself? Yeah. If I don't mention that I really went out of my way, I made an effort, I wasn't going to then also go through and edit out the pictures that didn't come out as well the way a professional photographer often does for you. 
that it's it was an honest mistake. There was no way to fix it. There's no going back and repairing the situation. Well, so you can you can like, apologize, but there is no reparative action well, to be taken th- necessarily. That's what drives. Sorry, I, I have to jump in here. That's what drives me nuts about the the groom's behavior, because it's like, dude. It's not like these people are jumping on Photoshop during your wedding to double check what's blurry, what's coming out right. They aren't professional photographers. Like, you got to tone it down a notch, and he's not. So I'm of the camp that it's okay to respond to this. And I think you, you technically you could do it two ways. You could say you could be really blunt and straightforward if you wanted to be. I'm not recommending it, but you could do that. You could say something like, um, I did the best I could. Uh, like, Jim, I'm really sorry you feel that way. But to be honest, your behavior now is making me uncomfortable because I tried to help you out of a difficult situation. And you're making me feel like I really screwed that situation up for you. I didn't have to do it at all. You could totally lay it out there for him. You could. I prefer to go the other route, which is a bit more apologetic. And I I, I definitely feel like some of our listeners are going to say that's passive aggressive. And I think it is a little bit. I think you're trying to be the passive form of being a little bit aggressive. Mm. So my sample script goes something like, Jim, we are so sorry you're unhappy with the photos we took at your wedding. We chose to include all the photos, even the blurry ones, just so that you had absolutely everything. We know you had your heart set on having a professional photographer, and we were so happy to jump in last minute to help. But unfortunately, we are not professionals, and we are so sorry that you're disappointed in our efforts when our hopes had been to help you out of a difficult situation. I don't think that sounds passive aggressive to me. That really? sounds really reasonable. Maybe okay. it's the, the the tone that I'm hearing you say okay. it in. Okay. I'm believing what what makes it I think genuine is that I'm believing you're sorry. Oh, good. That, 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 <laughs> no, it, and it's not like well, I'm sorry your wedding pictures didn't yeah, come out great. It's I'm like, no, sorry, I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry your wedding yeah. pictures didn't come out yeah. well. And it was really our intent. It was our hope to help you out of a tough situation. And there's that little gentle, and I, I think that's an appropriately gentle reminder. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, my my concluding thought when yeah. I was thinking about this question it's it's a fine line between not saying anything and how you say something in a way that does communicate everything that i think you communicated very well there so way to way to navigate that line (laughs) with some subtlety let's end this question with with one thought for the future and that is when someone does ask a big favor and i'm i'm guilty of this myself because I'm the kind of person that I want to jump in. I want to help out. I want to save the day. (laughs) Get me my cape. Um, But I definitely think you want to think first about big favors for extremely special days, things like that. They're high stakes favors. And I would even start replying when someone asks you to do one, say, you know, something like, hey, this is a really big deal. These are your wedding photos. Are you sure you're going to be able to handle it? Because I'm not a professional. I'm happy to help happy out. Happy to help. But I've never done this before. I'll do the best I can. Exactly. That way, the, just sort of the stage is set ahead of time. I think that's a really good piece of advice. So there you've got it. You've got three options at your disposal. We hope that one of them works for you and that uh, hopefully this just isn't an issue in the future moving forward. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question treads into some territory that is by definition very sensitive. We call this question, sometimes you have to know when to break a rule. Have you heard us say that before? I've heard us say that before. I think I've heard that. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I am a professor, the mother of a three-year-old girl, and I also have a visible disability. 
An issue has arisen in my life recently, and I'm writing for help with how to respond. Four times in the last three weeks, when my family has been out and about, someone has made a comment that deeply diminishes my identity as a mother. Directed towards my daughter, the comments are a variation of, you're such a good helper to your mother. In the worst incident, I told my daughter it was time to go potty, and someone responded, yes, help your mother go potty. As someone with a disability, I've endured demeaning comments my entire life. I've always tried to be kind and patient and put on my educator hat with people, but I feel that something very important is at stake now that these comments are directed at my daughter. First of all, I believe this is a terrible burden to place on a child, and I don't want these comments to in any way diminish my relationship with my daughter or her sense of security in knowing that she's a child and I'm her carer. It also makes my work as a mother feel completely invisible. And finally, these comments expose people's utter lack of faith in my competence. They're essentially saying, let's see, between the woman with the PhD who happens to have a disability or the three-year-old child with no disability, I'll bet the three-year-old must be running the show. I was stunned into silence all four times this has happened, and I want to be prepared with a few assertive responses for the next time. I don't want to sound too harsh in my response, but I also want to assert my role as a mother and, frankly, reclaim my dignity in these situations. Can you help me brainstorm a few brilliant responses? Thanks so much, Angela. Angela, this is you you are you are right to both I think feel like this is not okay especially when it's happening in front of your daughter and they're directing things towards almost like going over your head to the daughter it's it's one of those things where people are so oblivious to how they come across they think they're saying something nice and supportive and they are saying something that is so diminishing and it is ignorance on their part and I really want to applaud you for being patient going to that place of being an educator and at the same time wanting something a step further because sometimes, as you have heard my cousin Dan say on this show all the time, sometimes you have to know the rules to know when to break them. And while two etiquette wrongs do not make a right, and I always think your first inclination should be that patience, tolerance, understanding, and education, and I think you do that, every now and again, it is okay to wake somebody up a little bit and talk to them and just say, you know, well, we're here's here's where we'll go into sample scripts in a second. And yeah. we talked about in our last question walking that fine line between when you address someone else's bad behavior because it's a matter of self-respect and when you let it go because it's it's frankly easier and in some sense more appropriate. But I I like the way you're approaching this, guys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's um so it's because it is delicate territory and, and I wanna give you something that's gonna make you feel confident, but also not make you feel like you're then being a jerk afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think the word understanding is gonna be one that we use a lot in this. So somebody says a line like the go help your mom go potty, and that's the one that would cause me personally to just be like, Okay, now I gotta say something. And I would try to say something like, you know, I may look or I may be disabled, but I am quite capable. I know you meant no harm, but please be careful with your assumptions. Um, You know, you could even maybe add, please be careful with your assumptions, especially when my child is present. And you're not trying to be a jerk, but you are trying to get someone to understand that what was a seemingly harmless and encouraging comment to them was actually really something offensive to you. And you you want to hold that space for the tolerance of understanding that they were not coming from a bad place with it, that it really was ignorance, without calling them ignorant. Mm-hmm. And so you want to avoid the name call, 
But you also want to say, you know, I am quite capable and I just want to let you know that's a pretty big assumption that my daughter has to help me go to the bathroom. And I think you found that place. I, I like that. I know you meant no harm. You're you're not just giving them the credit of coming from a place of, of unintended offense. You're assuming that it was unintended, which is, I, th- I think, giving that person a lot of credit. And it's important. I think it is really important. And the tough part is, is they may not hear it, even though you've put it in there. They may not hear it. And this is where I I wish Dan and I had more opportunities to to do exactly what we're about to do. But your chances are you're going to get a scoff or a huff from the person. You might get the person who says, I'm so sorry. They recognize it in that moment. And that's that's great if that happens. And you can even follow up with, I, I totally understand. I know it wasn't intentional, but I hope you understand that in front of my daughter, I have to. I have to say something or I have to choose to address it. I like that. And that kind of helps explain why you chose to spoke, speak up in that moment. But and, and for people who don't have daughters around, you don't need to have that line. You can just say, I hope you understand. I really I tried to address this, but also be understanding of where you're coming from. And that might be a nice way to close it out. However, you might get someone who's going to be defensive and um, it's because they're embarrassed and it's because they are so focused on their own intent, which they don't feel was communicated clearly, even though you actually know it was there. Um, They might say something like, well, I wasn't trying to assume. Um, And you can reply sincerely to that. I really do understand that. Um, But you don't have to deal with this every day. And uh, my daughter and I do. And I try to let others know just when that line has unintentionally been crossed. That way you might be able to understand in the future where that line is for for different people. And I think that that would be a fine way to try to handle someone's defensiveness, because I think you do want to let them know that. They don't need to be defensive. And you don't want to say that because that's just going to make them more defensive. But you can say, I really, truly do understand it was unintentional. I do. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's a good thing to communicate to them in that moment. Um, I'm going to just jump out, though, on a limb that my cousin will probably be embarrassed about. But I man, if that potty thing had happened to me, if, if I had a disability and someone said that to my daughter when I was basically trying to politely get out of a conversation with them and say, no, you have to go to the bathroom. OK, let's go. You know, I would not be my most etiquette self. And I would probably turn around and say, no, I'm helping her. She is the child. Like, I am the mother. That's uh, that's just my snarky self coming out, though. But That's the edited internal voice. Yeah, that's, that's the one I choose to, exactly. That's the one, that's what I first think. And then we try to instead go to that, that more tolerant, understanding place, but still correcting. Well, and I was hearing in a lot of your answer is, is the when you I feel framework. Yeah. You're just letting someone know when you do these things, when you take this action, when you say these things, when you use these words, this is how it makes me feel. And... It's a really powerful way to approach anybody because you're not telling them what they should do. You're you're letting them know what impact they're making. One last thing I want to leave us with is that no matter which exchange you choose to go for, if you choose to ignore it or if you choose to address it, I think it's always important. And I am sure that you do this, but to explain to your child why you're choosing to either tolerate it or to address it. And I think that that's going to help her be strong and be confident about doing the same. Because I think if you just address it or if you just give that snarky personal response that I wanted to give that I that I edit out before I actually have it come out of my mouth, it'll educate her to do the same. And I think it sounds like you're doing such an amazing job of being tolerant and being understanding 
um, but also standing up for yourself. And I think that that's something that, that you have such an opportunity, and I think you're already doing it, to pass on to your daughter. And that's just brilliant. Anonymous, we hope that helps. I hope that you find just a little bit of brilliance in that answer somewhere that's useful moving forward and that these particular situations don't come in clusters of four in the future. Our next question is an absolute etiquette classic. Uh, it is who to introduce to whom. Dear Ms. Post. Ah, ah, he didn't get included. <laughs> I would be very grateful if you could answer and explain the following two questions regarding social introductions. One. In our first situation, Betty, age 55, is hosting a dinner party. Two male guests arrive together, and she greets them as they come in. One male guest is her friend, Bob, 35, and the other person is Bob's friend, Jack, age 31, who is unknown to Betty. Should Bob start the introduction with, Betty, this is my friend Jack, and then Jack, Betty, our hostess, and I have been friends since college, the rule being a man is introduced to a woman. Or, because Jack is a guest, is he more honored? In which case it would be, Jack, let me introduce you to my college friend Betty. Betty, please meet Jack, my colleague from work. So, classic etiquette issue, and you're dealing with a hostess, you're dealing with a male-female relationship, and you're dealing with um, age, seniority. Mm -hmm. So, there's lots of different things at play. I can see where it gets confusing, but... In this particular situation, Jack is the unknown, and even though he's a guest, he should be getting introduced to his hostess. So the hostess, both because of her seniority and because she is the hostess and he is an unknown guest to her, she takes that, quote-unquote, more important person mm -hmm. perspective. So you would say, Betty, I would like to introduce my friend Jack to you. Mm -hmm. Or I'd like to introduce, my, yeah, I would like to my introduce friend my friend to Jack to you. That makes, in some ways, perfect sense because in the, the friendship between the two men, Betty, even though she's the hostess, is kind of the outsider to that yeah. relationship. If Jack was the president of the United States or, you know, someone really high up and very important in the grand scheme of the world, we might switch that around a little bit because he would be such an honored guest. But that's just not the case in this particular scenario. Um, Irma had a second scenario. A teacher, age 26, is coming to a student's home for private math lessons. The student opens the door, the teacher enters. They both go into the living room where the grandmother, age 72, is sitting. How should the student introduce her teacher? Miss Brown, I'd like to introduce you to my grandmother, because the teacher is a guest, or grandmother, I'd like you to meet my teacher, Miss Brown. So in this situation, it's actually, it's very much so the same answer. Uh, Granny rules in this case. She's not only the most senior by quite a lot, but she is also a relative of the household. So whether she's living in the house or not doesn't quite matter. Um, the teacher is a stranger in this case. And in this particular case, kind of like a subcontractor and not a guest, she's there to do work. She's not there to be like honored and accepted in. It's not like they're hosting a dinner party in her honor. They are. She's there to work. And, you know, even though she's well senior to the student because she's 26 and the kid is a teenager, it's it's more proper that, that she is introduced to the grandmother because the grandmother is the more important person. So you do granny, I'd like you to meet my teacher, you know, Ms. Jones or whatever her name is. Um, but that's how you'd handle it for both of those situations. Typically, the guest is being introduced to the hosts of the home or to the most senior people in the home. Well, thank you, Lizzie. And thank you, Irma, for your questions. We love those sample situations that let us work through a couple introductions. 
We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. Thank you for your questions, and please don't forget to send updates and comments. You can leave us a message at 802-866-0860 because we love hearing your voices. And you can send us an email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or hit us up on Twitter. Use the hashtag awesomeetiquette. love to hear what you think about all of the etiquette we discuss, so it's time to hear your feedback. Our producer Hans has had the pleasure of getting to hear what you have to say, and he's here to talk about it. Hi, Hans. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Hey! Uh, yeah, so we had some great stuff come in recently, so let's jump right to it. Mandy sent us an email. Um, she had a response to episode 95, so if you remember, there was a question in that one. It was all about carrying other people's things in a purse. There was a woman who had written into us saying that she liked to be prepared for every contingency, so carried a large bag with her everywhere that she went. And people would often use her carrying a bag as an excuse not to carry things on their own and often put things in either that they purchased on the way. Can I put my water bottle that I just bought into your bag or my keys or something? And she was feeling like, I've already got enough stuff. Why are you all putting that stuff in my bag? I'd rather just carry my own. So... Mandy says that one possible solution is to carry one or two plastic or light reusable bags in her purse. So that would be like, um, I think they call them Chico bags. Like you can fold them up, you can roll them up, and they take up very little space, but they unfold into like a tote. Uh, So Mandy continues, not only is this great for spur-of-the-moment shopping, but she can offer to give or lend the bags to friends who want to carry their own items. So she says the sample script would be, I'd love to carry your item, but my purse is already pretty heavy. If you'd like, I have this extra bag to lend you, if that would help. It's headed off at the pass. Headed off at the pass. <laughs> I know, right? I love, I love this feedback because I also think it's going to really discourage the friends from asking in the future. And that's what I love. And when I when I saw the first part that, that read plastic bags, I was like, even better because they're not like cute, reusable Chico bags. And so I love the, I love the idea of kind of being like, here. You want to carry plastic bag around for the night because I don't want to carry your stuff. <laughs> or how about here? I'll take your shirt. You can carry this half the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like in my head again. Once again, I'm giving my in the head answer as opposed to my filtered answer. But I did kind of dig that. I think it would discourage people in the future from from asking for you to carry their stuff. The other thing that I love about it is it fits right in with Mandy's whole desire to be prepared for every contingency. Now yes. she's carrying something to be prepared for the contingency that other people need her to be prepared for the contingencies of their contingencies. I love it. <laughs> full circle. It's all full circle. So we also got feedback from Andrew. Andrew went on to Facebook and uh, sent us a message uh, about a recent episode where we talked about plate clearing. So do you, this is the infamous question, do you clear the plates all at once? Right. Or do you clear them as people finish? And Andrew says, Near the end of my grandmother's life, eating became something that took much more time and deliberate attention for her. We still love to gather together as a family in a restaurant to share time together, but table clearing sometimes became a stress at the end of the meal. My mom didn't ever want my grandmother to feel rushed when eating, and when plates began to disappear from the table, my grandmother would say she was finished too, 
and my mom would feel anxious that she hadn't eaten enough. We always appreciated servers who would offer to clear plates, but would also take no for an answer. So after offering once and being told that we wanted to wait for everyone to be finished before clearing the table, some servers would come back time and time again. The exceptions to that were truly exceptional. By offering to clear, but then waiting until everyone was finished, they made our time together as a family that much more enjoyable. I like that. I like that thinking about, you know, grandma may take longer to eat, but she doesn't want to feel rushed and and we want to make sure she gets enough and doesn't feel like she just has to be done. I also, finished, I, excuse I, me. I love that idea of talking to somebody um, at the restaurant, particularly in America, where sometimes it's seen as a courtesy to yeah. move people along, to get them their check quickly, where restaurants and establishments want to turn over tables. It's one of the differences between American and continental style dining, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. you are encouraged to linger or allowed to linger until you explicitly ask for that check yep. often. Um, so if you are dining in America where you don't want to be rushed or you don't want to be moved along, letting people know ahead of time is a great way to, to anticipate and deal with that. So our last piece of feedback comes from Anonymous, who was responding to the question about celebrities coming to weddings and yes. whether we think that's okay and should they drop in. And often they come as crashing weddings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was in response to inviting celebrities And Anonymous says, over 30 years ago, when I was planning my wedding, my husband-to-be would not, under any circumstances, allow me to invite his cousin. The reason? His cousin was the current governor of our state and had to travel with his security entourage. My fiancé did not want any attention taken away from me on our special day. Some may appreciate celebrities invited to or stopping by their wedding, but we knew our guests would be more in awe of the governor than my dress. I like it. I like it. Find where the importance is and protect it. I do too. And and um, what a what a an attentive fiance. <laughs> I really like that they wanted to to keep the attention on you. Take note, Dan. Take note. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Well, it's time for our postscript segment where we explore the exciting nuance of a single piece of etiquette. And today, Dan, what do you have for us? Well, today's postscript comes out of a discussion I had with a a reporter who's a good friend of yours from the Boston Globe, who you passed on an interview request to me because you were away on vacation. And I did the interview and he was a a fun and intelligent young man. He's a good guy. And his question had to do with posting pictures on Facebook about your vacation. And we ended up having a little discussion about what you post on social media about your vacation and how it's received. And I'm seeing a smile come across your face. What is this making I'm you I'm just laughing. I think I, I posted two photos uh, to Facebook from my vacation, I think. I posted one about making clam chowder and one about being on the ferry to, to go to the island. But other than that, I stayed complete. I, I posted them to Twitter, not Facebook, because I don't really post to Facebook. Very nice. Okay. Yeah. So uh, am I in? Am I, am I good? Am I in? Are we? Did I not like you no, know embarrass our family? You did well. Oh, I, I wish I'd okay, seen good. them. So well done. Couple of thoughts about okay. posting those pictures for about your vacation. When I did a little research, I was thinking about the story. One of the things I started to do is look around online for tips on social media. Something I often do, try to get a, a lay of the land. And I discovered how many tips there are for people that market using social media, and how <laughs> few tips there are for people that use social media for social purposes. <laughs> and it reminded me that it would be a really good topic to to revisit because the vast majority of people are using these platforms to interact socially, and yet there's 
a surprising lack of good advice on how to use these platforms well if you're not thinking about the professional uses of them. Yeah, right? So uh, the first piece of advice, just a broad piece, we always have to cover this basis for safety comes first. Yes. So you really want to be careful whenever you're posting anything that's going to reveal your location, particularly it's going to reveal you're away from your home. Right. That you know who your audience is. You're thinking about that and you're thinking about how exposed you are. And you want to be as careful with the people that you're with as you are with yourself. So you want to be extra careful about tagging other people or revealing that other people are with you away from home. The second piece of advice always when you're thinking about these tools is to think about the relationships that are involved. Think about the people that you're trying to communicate with. If you're posting vacation pictures because you're returning to that place you went with your college friends and you want them to see that you're there, that you've returned 10 years later, you're visiting with your family, whatever it is, that you want to think about your audience, what they'd want to know, what's going to be meaningful to them, what's going to be significant for them. You want to connect in ways that are going to add to those relationships or grows. It seems so obvious. At the same time, when you're sitting there at the computer, it can feel like broadcasting when you're sitting there with the phone in your hand. And it can be um, really useful, really helpful to think about the people on the other end that are receiving that information. It's going to help you avoid some of the mistakes that people sometimes make. Like assuming that everyone wants to see a picture of the the pot of chowder that you just made. So food pictures <laughs> came up when we did the interview. But I think it's a question of volume and dosage because okay. sometimes it is you're excited. You're trying something new. You're on the coast. You're eating seafood. You don't usually, you know, your cousin loves that fresh seafood on the coast. Then you would appreciate seeing the meal that you harvested yourself and you're cooking okay. in that traditional way that you used to do. We together. did get the clams ourselves. So. I think it's a question of volume and dosage. Yeah. And you really want to be careful. You don't want to spam people. Okay. You don't want to overload anyone. So you don't want to um, – the, the equivalent in the old days was invite someone over to your house and then put three carousels in the slide machine of your family vacation yeah, and you right. hold them for three hours while you look at every picture, every event. You don't want your social media to become the third carousel on the slide projector. So – Thinking about dosage, you want to mix and have different kinds of posts. It's not all pictures of food. It's not all selfies. It's not all landscapes. It's not all photos of Benny. Whatever, <laughs> what, whatever your particular affinity is, be your own curator. Think about mixing and matching, trying some different things. Think about volume as well as quality. <laughs> um, one of the tips that we came up with, this is me and the, your reporter friend, was that maybe think about not posting till you get back yep. and curating a little album. So you choose the, the best and the brightest. And the, the idea that Anytime you post about vacation, it's going to be perceived as boasting or bragging or um, in some ways promoting yourself, I think is a little ungenerous from your audience. I agree. If you're taking care, I think that there's a certain generosity of spirit and relationships are fostered and grown oftentimes on social media when people yeah. participate well. And I think that so often we're, we're cautioning ourselves and being careful about not causing other people to feel feelings of jealousy that we sometimes hold back. And and I think it's appropriate to think about those other people, but there are ways to avoid that. And you're not responsible for the way everybody perceives what you write, that, that just like there's one person who might think, oh, they think I really care about their vacation. There might be 10 people who feel a little more connected to you, like they have some idea what's going on. You're like maybe even excited and happy for you that you had this opportunity. My final tip is to think about personalizing those messages. I've, I've mentioned it a couple times, a couple different ways, but what the people that are connecting with you on social media care about is you. They care about feeling like they're just a little bit involved in your life. If I want to see a picture of the Eiffel Tower, I can Google search the Eiffel Tower and see lots of pictures of the Eiffel Tower. But the people that I spent time in Paris with, when they return there and they want to 
tell me that they're thinking of me or just share this experience that they're having that might just jar some little memories loose and make me remember what an important relationship that was to me at some point. Makes the connection between you two. Really does start to do what social media at its best can do for us in our relationships. That's this awesome. was meant to be a, a quick little postscript, and it's ending up going on and on. Clearly, there's things to say. There's things that um, that we all think about as these become more and more of a, a common part of our life and less and less of a new or exciting new territory. I'd be curious your thoughts on posting vacation pictures and just more broadly using social media well as we all get more familiar with these tools. Um, so speaking of vacations, I missed something last week. Pokemon Go. I think we're going to need to do a postscript on that because I'm hearing it everywhere. I still don't really know what it's all about. I got some Google research to do. Welcome back from the beach. We'll dive into that one next week. As you know, every week we like to end with a listener's salute to good etiquette, and today we hear from Martin. Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. I'm Martin, a theologian in Minnesota. Last week, my husband and I vacationed in Boston. We visited its wonderful Museum of Fine Arts. Related to what follows is is that I'm a type 1 diabetic and my husband is in an electronic wheelchair. This summer, I've been researching the life of Anglicans in Ireland in the 19th century. We went to the information desk to see if there were artworks that might inform my research, and the two people who answered us were welcoming, smart, and directive. Just before we left, we went to the accessible bathroom. I tested my blood sugar. Helping my husband, I left the glucometer on the paper towel dispenser, which I realized only when we went to bed that night. The next day, I returned to the museum when it opened, and security directed me to the same information staff. The three people were as hospitable and helpful with my predicament in the morning as the two people had been erudite and enthusiastic the night before. Not finding the machine, they took my number, and I thought, well, so much for that. As I walked from the museum to meet my husband, the phone rang. It was the museum telling me that they'd found the machine. I call Awesome Etiquette to salute the generosity and time of the staff at the museum. As I told them after my third entrance, when I returned to get the machine, the masterpieces hanging on the walls are outdone only by your kindness, my reason for calling with this salute. I'm happy for the chance to call with the salute, also to tell you how much your podcast informs my work as a professor in the classroom and confirms as a theologian my experience of the presence of God in the world. Thank you so much. Bye. Martin, thank you so much for that salute. It was so well thought out. It really um, it communicated the spirit of the moment so well. I love hearing the word erudite used in a sentence also. Bravo. No, truly wonderful to hear about good people really making an effort to help somebody out. I mean, that that's probably not a cheap little machine to have to have. And, and especially when you're traveling, I'm not sure if you had spares or not. And that's a tough thing. And so it's really wonderful that they that they handled it the way that they did. I'm very, I love, I love it. This is what I love about salutes is exactly. that it's people doing good stuff out in the world. In this environment where things are of such quality, that the service would be of such quality also is, is really, it's a lovely, it's a lovely sentiment. Thank you for sharing, Martin. 
Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. And remember that you can send us questions, comments, and salutes. Feel free to leave us a message at 802-866-0860 or shoot us an email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can also tag your post with Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want it on the show. And help us out. Please subscribe on iTunes. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a kind review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Butow.